0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Now, why are we doing this series in the first place? Because I think people do need, I think we all can agree, people need to simply meet and encounter Jesus. Religion is one thing. Christianity may be another. But Jesus... um, well, first of all, our, most people, if you'd ask them, they may have a bad, um, a bad impression of Christianity today. And I think there's a lot of good reasons for that, sadly, that they may have a bad reaction to Christianity. It's not just because they watch media. It's the fact they've had some encounters with Christians that have kind of turned them off, um, sadly. Uh, maybe they've encountered me and I've turned them off. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's possible because I'm nowhere near what Jesus would want me to be. Um, but most people love Jesus. And yet most people in a society, I don't know, have really encountered Jesus simply and profoundly. They've heard about him, they think about him some, but they project on him whatever they want, you know. Jesus has become our therapist and our life coach, much more than our Savior and King. And we're going to see in our text today specifically, he's an authority that we must deal with. In fact, the word authority comes up in this text. The Jesus that we project is no Jesus that can actually make a real difference in our lives. The Jesus that we just come up with is not the Jesus that we need to encounter. It's the text, this Jesus we need. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, and uh, quite a few verses, 21 through 45, if I'm not mistaken. And it's a long text, but I think you'll enjoy it, Okay. And um, as Carl mentioned last week, one of the words you'll see again come up immediately. Immediately, like, he is this fast-paced, boom, 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 action-packed gospel here. Simple, profound, the first one probably written, and yet, wow. I mean, you're just moving along at a record pace, and you'll see in these two, maybe three days, it's like, how in the world did he catch a breath, right? Another famous, two other things about this text, uh, I think, I I don't know if you mentioned these or not, Carl. He uses a lot of ands. I think we've taken most of those out in our uh, English translations. But it's like, it's this breakneck speed we're going. And the other is that it's mostly in the present tense. It's like it's actually happening as he's writing it. But we put it into the past tense when our English translations come along. All of this says the immediacy the amazing features of the gospel. It's just all of this is like, wow, what's going on here? And we, like um, all the people, the crowds and others react to it and are called by Mark to react to it. So here we go, okay? Mark chapter 1. And they went into Capernaum and immediately And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter." Wow. Two to three days. That probably doesn't even cover all of it. From this text, we're going to learn three things about Jesus uh, simply and profoundly. First of all, it's going to be Jesus' authority. And this one might be the hardest for us to, you know, We're kind of an anti-authority society. (laughs) Have you noticed? Don't tell me what to do. Um, And then Jesus' mission, and finally his compassion. So let's look, Jesus' authority. Um, So the text says, and this is what he's called more often than anything else in in the Gospels, is that he was a teacher. How many of you are teachers or have been teachers here? How much authority do you have teaching? (laughs) You know how your students act with you, right? I'm sure, Karen, you kept them in line. You tried. Every teacher tries. Okay, So Jesus is a teacher. In fact, he's called that time and again. And we see that in this text. So he goes into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes." So we don't get the content of his teaching from this time in the synagogue. That's found elsewhere in some of the other gospel accounts in other places. Mark focuses on action and results. He's a very results-oriented individual here. But we see the crowd astonished at how, the method of how Jesus taught. It's like, what's going on here? We're not used to this. You see, the teachers of the law, the scribes that they were used to, would would say something as they started, it is written, and they would quote the scriptures. Okay, And the prophets, when they read the prophets, if you ever read the prophets, one of their common lines is, thus saith the Lord. King James-ish, but, you know, God says, the Lord says, and then they would speak. In the Gospel of Matthew, we don't get it here in Mark, but in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has his long Sermon on the Mount, and you know how it goes? You've heard it said, but I say to you. Do you understand the profound authority he's claiming at that point? Here's another point that you might not know. Um, so Jesus often, have you ever read one of those, truly, truly, I say to you's? Yeah? The, 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 the actual word um, for truly um, was probably, Jesus would say, amen, amen, or amen, amen. Steadfast, for sure, for sure. Maybe valley talk that way, you know? Do you remember valley talk? For sure. But that's what the word means. It's certainty, foundational. Amen, amen, I say to you. Um, So in the synagogue, probably when Jesus taught that time as well, he uh, he was asked to teach. He comes up to the front, and he sits down. Do I dare? Okay, he sits down. All right, and he teaches from a seated position. That's how rabbis or teachers did. But seated up front with him were all the elders of the synagogue. And any male at that time, first century, could be invited to ask to teach. And the other elders would be up there. Why? To judge his teaching. And you know what they would say? They would say, amen, if they agreed with it. And you better hear a few amens. We still have some churches that, you know, we're not one of those churches. I, I'd love it if you actually did respond a few amens once in a while. Hugo, you want to do that through the sermon? Okay. Amen. Um, but basically, you're saying I agree with that, right? Jesus kind of preempted all of that. He goes, amen, amen. What? Yeah, I don't need you to judge my teaching. You don't have authority over me. I am the authority here. What I am saying to you makes a difference. And in fact, the authority that is seen in this text goes even one step further. So first of all, he's teaching with authority. He's saying, I say to you. He is saying, amen, amen to himself about his own teaching. But then, (laughs) Of all things, can you imagine this scene? A demonically possessed individual, a person with an unclean spirit, as the text says, is in their midst and starts to cause a commotion. And Jesus speaks and says, come out. Be silent. And immediately it happens. That's authority. You know, John Luke Picard, Any of you ever heard of him from Star Trek, you know, Next Generation or whatever? He would do something. He'd say often in that show, you'll see him, you know, as kind of the captain of the ship, right? Make it so. But he can't make it so unless, you know, the other people in the act cooperated and pressed the buttons, did whatever. Jesus' words, make it so. You know, when God speaks, not that people listen or not. Who cares about that? His words actually perform what they say. You know, let there be light, there's light. If I say let there be light, I better be saying, hey, Google, turn on, you know. <laughs> we've got that going. My, my son kind of updated our tech at our house. <clears throat> And that only works if Google, first of all, you know, the internet's actually on. But you know, I, it's, everything's contingent. My words are always contingent words. Do you understand that? Um, I can't get anything to actually happen. It's all derived authority. The scribes had derived authority it was only as good as the word of god as long as so long as so much as in to what extent as they were being accurate with what god and aligned with what god said but jesus is the word he speaks it happens he performs it is accomplished they are his words and actions and deeds and everything fit together. That's the kind of authority we have here. Now, you might be going in this text and might be thinking, wait a minute. So here, you know, this happens on the Sabbath. He exercises, not exercises, exorcises a demon. He goes to um, Peter's house and his mother-in-law is sick in bed and heals her all on the Sabbath. He's even claiming power to do what he wants on the Sabbath, which is not the typical way to do th- He's not under that. He's under the Father's authority, but no one else's. But you might be going like, well, you know, this whole text, I mean, you're, yeah, first century primitive Hicksville people, you know, we've kind of got this chronological snobbery of, oh, we're 21st century. We're modern. We understand science. Um, This whole talk about demon possession, you know, Okay, So whatever, right? And you can kind of see people are unsure. Um, We know better, we think. And you might be struggling with this whole idea of personal evil, spiritual evil that might be in this world. But you know what's so ironic? Uh, People have done surveys of the United States uh, of Americans. So many more people believe in heaven, hardly anybody wants to believe in hell. Have you noticed that? Everybody wants to believe in God, they don't want to believe in a personal devil of any type. You can see that gap between those statistics. Well, isn't that interesting? I don't, you know, if it's not irrational to believe in a God, why is it irrational to believe in an evil force that also is beyond the human? Huh? mean, have you watched the news lately? Can we explain everything by psychology and sociology and politics and economics? I don't think so. What is so difficult to believe that there might be a personal evil presence that aggravates the human condition and causes it to go one step further? There have been things I have seen, and you probably have seen in life, and you're going like, wow i can't make sense of the dehumanization the victimization the decreationism like the just the destructive nature of trying to destroy everything is it that difficult to believe there might be just something that tries to destroy as jesus would say in the gospel of john the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, and that's he's talking about the devil himself. Do you think it's all just explainable by people being depraved because they've been deprived by economic conditions? Maybe not. Maybe it's time to doubt some of your doubts about your own presumptions about what Jesus is saying here and doing here. And maybe, just maybe, this text is simply telling it as it is. That also says something. But Mark's point is not trying to convince us necessarily of, oh, this or that situation. He's really... Through this individual in this synagogue and the whole synagogue, he's really saying this is typical of the human condition in general, by the way. Demon possession is only an extreme form of the fact that we all are facing, in one sense or another, some bondages and brokenness and self-destructive or destructive tendencies in this world. It doesn't take demon possession to do that. In other words, we think we may be possessing things, but often, those things are possessing us. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, David Foster Wallace. He was an American author of novels, short essays, a university professor, and not a Christian himself. Um, He uh, died years ago, but he gave one of the most famous commencement speeches ever. Uh, in modern history in the United States. And um, most commencement speeches, do you remember yours by any chance? Probably not, and there's good reason for that. They're not worth remembering. His words had some resonance with everyone. And what was so fascinating is he understood the human condition probably better than most. And that's why they mattered so much. So what he said. And he's not a Christian. I was just amazed at some of the things he said. This is what he wrote and what he said at that commencement speech. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is to what we worship and an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship. And he lists a number of options at that point in time, being not a Christian himself. But he says this. is pretty much any of the religious options, it's pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if you are where you tap real, if that is, they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly, and when time and age start show, showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Hmm, I'm just thinking about certain situations in our news lately. Hmm. Worship your intellect, being as smart, seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Do you get it? What you treasure. What you think you want to possess often possesses you, and you are in bondage to that. And one of the things that, (laughs) amen is right. Sadly, amen on that. But one of the things we have said, um, part of good Christian, I think, theology in the end is we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. This is what's being actually acted out with Jesus' authority in this instance. We're eaten alive by anything other than the true God. So Jesus breaks this demonic hold on people in the gospel, and he has the authority to do it. He is the master, the only one who will not eat you alive. I am the only one who actually forgives you. I'm the only one who actually frees you. I'm the only one who can liberate you. I am the only one who empowers you. You worship your beauty, and your mirror will never forgive you. Have you ever noticed that? Your mirror doesn't forgive you? You worship success, and your career will never free you. It's The golden handcuffs often. You worship rules, they can't absolve you. You worship religion, and it will only become a burden for you. Jesus is the only master who won't eat you alive. That's what was going on in the synagogue that morning. That's what he was doing with his authority. Now, you might still talk and go like, wait a minute. I don't like this talk about authority. You know? Um, we tend to be anti-authority people. You've been told in our American society, don't let anyone ever tell you what to do. What are they doing when they're telling you not to do what you, 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 That's a contradiction, isn't it? Don't, you, don't have any. They just told you what to do. Everybody basically loves authority as long as I've got it and I tell others what to do. Everybody wants to be the dictator, but you know that doesn't work. You are not the captain of your own faith or the master of your own soul. As much as you want to believe that, Mark would say that's simply not true. It is a challenge. I get it. This is a challenge. This is something that... This is why a lot of people don't like, quote, religion or whatever. They don't like the idea that somebody else is the authority. I'm not the authority here, (laughs) okay? Um, Avoid the churches where the pastor becomes the authority, and you have to get his approval, you know? No, no, no. God's Word, Jesus, specifically, the center of God's Word, what the Word is all about, He's the only authority. Yeah, I know. It would be a lot more nice if we just kind of Jesus would kind of go like, "Okay, so what do you want? You know, give me your agenda. I'll meet whatever. He's not here to do that. He doesn't look for popularity. He's not uh, someone we vote into office. He's not someone we give an award to. He calls out, and he has the authority, and his words do what they say, like it or not, regardless of how you respond to it. Ouch. And Jesus has a mission. So this is what happens then. So he becomes wildly popular, but it doesn't detract him from what he's really about. Mark 1, 35 to 39, he rose early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed, went out to a desolate place, and he prayed. The busier Jesus got, the more he prayed isn't that interesting usually you know we'd look at his schedule and go like wow he could really like start charging you know get tickets to peter's house make it a little palace you know have a little like a fast pass for a few people who who have a few more bucks build up his notoriety No, 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 no. That's not his mission. His mission is not that at all. And so Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach their altar for this. That is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This defines his mission in the gospel of Mark. Um, And his mission cost him. He was an itinerant preacher. He had no home. He was homeless. Do you get that? You know, people think traveling is wonderful until that's all you do. You know, I know some people who've done the traveling nurse thing, and it's like, oh, you make a lot of money. But after a while, my brother, I think, used to work for a glass manufacturer, and he would travel two weeks overseas and then come back for two weeks and then go out somewhere. It's nice for about two months, and then you're tired of it and you want to settle down. Jesus never settled down so you'd, you would have a home. And so, you know, notoriety. We love the idea of fame and fortune until we have it and we realize how much of a burden that can be. And we'll see that later in our text, some more. Jesus remains true to his mission. He keeps focused on the one thing he's here to do, and that is to meet us where we are, not to expect us to come to him and set up his little, you know, shop or amusement park of Miracle Clinic or whatever, but where he was going to invade every aspect of human life and claim the authority of God's love and truth over it, whether we like it or not, it might be nicer It might have been nicer, and I think this is why church, for some people, just happens to be the place they come to for an hour, and then they can leave and control their own life. It might have been nicer if Jesus just kind of set up a place that said, whatever you really have a need, just come here, I'll heal you, help you, whatever, then you can go out and do whatever you want, but the way Jesus set up his mission is every aspect of your life, I'm going to be involved in. That's his mission. And that's what can bring real transformation. When Jesus is with you wherever you go, not where he's just with you whenever you want him. So honestly, his mission and his authority, hmm, uncomfortable. And I get it. I get it. I too would feel a bit uncomfortable. It's like, I don't like being told what to do or where to go. Or the fact that, you know, you're going to be everywhere always with me. Can't I just have a little more space? But this is Jesus. And what we really find in this text, in the last story in this text, the second day of his ministry, it just like poof, blows away all categories of what we would expect. Jesus has compassion. The word compassion comes up here in uh, Mark 1, 40 and 41. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean, moved with pity The word pity here is actually a Greek word called splanchnizomai. It's, I know, what a word, right? And the splanke are your guts, Okay, This is, for the Hebrews, the seat of the emotions is not your heart. Your heart is the seat of your will or your volition. Or it might be that pitter-patter of, I'm in love. But compassion, and you've felt this before, I believe. Maybe in recent days when you see pictures of all those baby strollers in Lviv and you realize how many children have been killed in this war. It's a gut reaction. It's a ugh. That is the word used again and again, this word splanchnitomai, for the compassion that Jesus has. It's related to the Hebrew word chesed. In the, <laughs> you got to do that, right? Um, chesed, for a loving kindness in the Old Testament, and ruchamah, which is mercy. And ruchamah is about the womb. It's the word for the, for the uterus, the womb. And it's the compassion and that love that a mother has for a child, you know, to protect an unborn baby or a child. This is the compassion, that love, that, oh, just that that plain hurt gut feeling Jesus has for this leper. Now you go like, well, it's a disease. It's a sickness. Leprosy is a little more... You you read through um, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and you read through the rabbinical times of Jesus' day, and you find leprosy is something that not just was a disease you dealt with, it was a disease that totally isolated you and ostracized you. You could not come near anyone. In fact, for instance, um, in rabbinic literature in the Talmud, this is what is written, if a leper who is ritually impure and transfer impurity through a tent. So you could actually just be in the same tent with a leper, and you're impure now. Anyone who enters that location of the leper is rendered impure. Not only that, then they analogized this and said, so sitting under a tree that acts like a tent, if you happen to be under the same canopy of the tree, you're impure now. What? Yeah. Other passages in the Talmud will say things like, you have to stand at least six cubits away from a leper. Now, if it's downwind, you better be 100 cubits away. You can't get close. In fact, you can't, according to other rabbis, eat the eggs from a region where a leper lives. If they have chickens outside, don't eat their eggs, don't touch anything. And um, you would actually even take stones up from the ground if you saw a leper, and you'd throw them in his direction, her direction, to say, stay away, stay away. So it's kind of gutsy, actually, that this leper somehow hears of Jesus and puts up with what I would say is all the catcalls and all the ostracism to come close enough, maybe from here, me to you now, to be able to speak to him from a distance, right? Nobody Nobody would even get close to a leper. The leper takes a chance and risks getting reasonably close to Jesus, but I don't think the leper ever expected. And Jesus didn't need to do it that he would come so close he would touch him and heal him. Other instances in the Gospels, Jesus uh, heals from a distance. I mean, miles away. Yeah, your servant's fine. He doesn't need to do any of this, but he is moved with compassion. You know what resulted because of Jesus' compassion then? He, he comes to the leper. He says, okay, so now, don't say anything to anyone. He may go like, what? Jesus doesn't want that kind of fame. Don't say anything to anyone. Go to the priest. Get certified by the priest that you've been clinically healed so that you can enjoy society. But this, this leper is so thrilled with what Jesus does. He can't stop talking about it. He disobeys the healer, goes out and lets everybody know about it. And do you see what happens then? It says in Mark 1.45, he went out and began to talk freely about it, spread the news, so that Jesus no longer openly entered a town, but was out in desolate places. Jesus now takes the place of the leper. That's where the leper had been. Now, the leper has been welcomed into society. He celebrates. He's in community, and Jesus is now isolated. He can't come in. And the Gospel of Mark, already at chapter 1, is telling us where it's going. What's going to happen in the end? Because Jesus has this authority, that Jesus has this mission, and Jesus has this kind of compassion. This is where it's headed. He's going to become the pariah, he's going to be in the loneliest place possible. He's going to be crucified. Jesus doesn't mind. Well, I don't know if that's the way to say it, actually. But this is why I came. I came for you, he would say. So in this text, we find out what his mission is. He has come for you what kind of authority he has. He has authority over all creation and the demons themselves. The question comes, and I think Mark is begging us to ask this question, does he have authority in my life? And Jesus would say to you today, I am willing, just like he did to the leper, be cleansed, be healed, be forgiven, be loved, be mine. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Um, simply, Lord Jesus, wow. I, how do we respond? This, the authority that you've had here in this text, what you and how you've used your authority, unlike any other leader in this world who uses their authority for themselves to feather their own nests, to build up their own ego. Lord, you expended yourself for the, for the sake of others in ways. You had such a busy schedule, Lord Jesus. You filled every moment with purpose and mission and meaning and compassion. And you met the needs of people in ways that they didn't even ask for. And yet, that's why you came. And we realize what we did. <laughs> even when you've given us great gifts, we disobeyed you like the leper. And we caused you well, that's why you came, to be nailed to the cross. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. We have been in bondage. We are in bondage and need your freedom. Uh, Speak to us your words of freedom and forgiveness and renewal. Speak to us the words only you can say, no other can say. Perform your words over us that we are yours that you are willing to cleanse us from sin as well as everything that burdens us, Lord, that everything that would keep us away from you and away from Christian community and fellowship, Lord. In so many ways, Lord, we are like each individually a leper who needs you to be able to bring us into community. Thank you, Lord, for this place. Where we get to celebrate community, not just, Lord, for an hour here and there, whenever we wanted, but every day, Lord. Make us a community uh, where where we thrive in our relationships of love and service and care, where we are open and vulnerable uh, as you were to us, Lord. As we love as you have loved us, as we forgive as you have forgiven us. As we speak truth, as you have spoken your truth to us, Lord God, we pray for all of these things, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord God, that you keep working in our lives in these ways. Soon, Lord, we are going to come to uh, the table to receive, um, as you say, your body, your blood. As you say, you want such a personal, intimate fellowship with each one of us as you did to your disciples. We pray, Lord, as we come, we know we are unworthy. We don't deserve these things. (laughs) If we think we have no sin, we just deceive ourselves, not you, Lord God, but we confess our sins. You do cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we thank you for that. So bless us as we come forward for that. Bless the offerings that we will give in response to your goodness and grace, Lord, and the gospel in our lives. Simply Jesus be our King, our authority, Call us to your mission and fill us with your compassion. All these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.